You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Our scripture reading tonight is Genesis 21 verses 1 through 8. If you want to take a moment to find the passage, either on your phone or um, in one of the pew Bibles. Again, that's Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Please stand for the reading of God's word. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore... Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when, he, when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good evening. Uh, my name is Ben Milner, one of the pastors here. We're glad you're here. We're looking at the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a children's Bible uh, written by Sally Lloyd-Jones, and it goes through many passages in Scripture, and in every passage she links it back to the story of Jesus. That's why it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible, because every single story of the Bible whispers the name of Jesus. That's the tagline of the book. So we're going through multiple passages that the Jesus Storybook Bible Mentions and uh, this week we're going, we're in Genesis 21. Um, the the big story of the Bible is that God um, puts two people, two human beings made in His image, uh, Adam and Eve, in a garden, and um, from that garden He wants them to reflect His creativity, the same creativity that He used to bring uh, order and beauty out of chaos and nothingness. He wants Adam and Eve to bring as well, to garden uh, the uh, Eden, to, to make it um, beautiful, where there's nothing but chaos. And so the plan is they will have descendants, they'll be fruitful and multiply and spread out around the earth. And one day the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That's the plan of the Bible. And that plot will happen. Um, the problem is there are setbacks along the way. So first there's what we call the fall in Genesis 3, where humans rebel against God, and um, they spread, instead of spreading glory, God's glory and creativity, they try to spread their own 
fame and their own pride and their own glory. And then we saw in the flood story in Genesis 6, there's another big setback where humans begin to spread violence and corruption around the earth. Uh, And then again in Genesis uh, 11, the Tower of Babel story, where humans try to make a name for themselves and exalt themselves to the heavens, and God has to come and tear that down. So again and again and again, we, uh, we try to ruin the story and undermine the plot, uh, and God just keeps uh, working things out for the good. Everything we try to do uh, to screw up the planet, he keeps working things to the good. In fact, I would say there's a famous verse that all things work together for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. I would say all things work together for the good of planet Earth which is in Christ Jesus. He died for the whole world. So the idea is there will be setbacks from now to whenever he returns, when Christ returns. But in the meantime, he is going to continue to take ground and he's going to continue to spread his glory, his creativity around the whole earth. And we looked at that in the confession tonight, the affirmation of faith about how God will assuredly bring peace and reconciliation. Uh, He will turn the swords into plowshares, all those kind of things. Those are things that will happen before he returns again. Um, Now, this week we're looking at what Sally Lloyd-Jones calls the secret rescue plan. So last week we saw that God scattered the Tower of Babel. Humans are trying to make a name for themselves. Uh, God says that's not going to work at all. So he scatters the tower. And humans are like spreading out around the earth with wandering steps and slow, to quote John Milton in Paradise Lost, that Adam and Eve left the garden with wandering steps and slow. So humans are kind of spreading out around the the globe a little bit from where the Tower of Babel happened in Babylon. And as they spread out, um, kind of in a fog and a daze, confused, um, not knowing what they're really living for, the camera zooms in on one couple. And I talked about this at the end of last week's sermon. It's this one old, barren couple. And there's no hope for that couple to make a name for themselves. There's no hope at all. And that's part of the point of why he chooses that couple. And if you know the Bible, you know the name of that couple. It's Abraham and Sarah. He chooses that couple. And he says, I want to use you and to bless the entire world. I want you to be the ones to spread my kingdom out, um, to bring uh, my creativity and my glory around the earth. Because you of all people know that it's not going to be about your name. It's going to be about my name. I'm going to make my name great for you. So Abraham and Sarah are this couple who will produce an offspring called the Israelites. And they will then uh, create, they will bring the Messiah who will then um, spread his glory in all the different nations of the world through the Israelites. So that's the plan, the secret rescue plan. And this family that God chooses, uh, this barren old couple, um, uh, they will have a child. And the name of that child will be uh, Isaac which means laughter. He will be the son of laughter. And that's the name of this uh, chapter in the Storybook Bible, the son of laughter, because his laughter uh, overcomes and overturns the bitterness, uh, um, the hopelessness, uh, the the disappointment of humans spreading around the globe. So I want to look at the, first of all, the backstory of Sarah and Abraham. And I'm really kind of thinking more about Sarah than Abraham. But there's a place in the backstory where she laughs bitterly because she doesn't believe God's going to do what he said. So I want to look at that bitter laugh first. And then um, that's, a, that's a laugh of disappointment and broken dreams. And I know that we can all relate to that laugh. Um, it's that sarcastic, you know, whatever, ha, rolling your eyes, contemptuous laugh. That's the first laugh I want to look at. Uh, that's not in this passage, but I'm going to talk about what leads up to this passage. And then the second laugh is in this passage. 
It's the laugh of joy. Uh, it's, a, it's a new kind of laugh um, on the planet. It's a, it's a blessed laugh. So those two laughs, the bitter and then the joyous. First of all, um, verse 5 says Abraham was 100 years old. And um, it was not until then that his son Isaac was born. So I don't know if you believe that a human being could have a son at 100. Uh, this is obviously supposed to be a miracle. So it's not the kind of thing you would expect or believe should happen. And yet, in this story, he's 100 years old and this son was born to him. But think about those 100 years. So in that day and age, in the ancient Near East, uh, your name, uh, your lineage was the most important thing that you ever do. Um, today, we don't think of children as nearly that same way. Uh, we, we, we think more about individualistically and are making a name for ourselves by um, our great accomplishments, our resume. Uh, back then, they thought almost entirely in terms of children. So if you think about his 100 years of life, I recently saw the movie Dune and the planet Arrakis, which is just this 140 degree endless desert, massive sand dunes where the earth can just swallow you alive. I think of that as the story of the first 100 years of Abraham's life, just like total desert, uh, barren, no life. Uh, He would have been pretty hopeless. Um, this is what the Storybook Bible says, Sally Lloyd-Jones. Years passed and things did not get any better. This is years after the Tower of Babel. People were still just as cruel and mean to one another as ever. They still got sick and they still died. God's world was full of tears. Okay, so this is after the Tower. Many, many years passed. The world is full of tears. And the story of Abraham is full of tears. Uh, the first massive chunk of his life was defined by tears because he was dying and he was unable to impart life to anyone else and he thought my life is a total waste if you've ever thought my life is a waste he thought his life was far more of a waste than you and in the context of the ancient Near East uh, that is the setting where God comes to Abraham and he makes this incredible promise this is Genesis 15 but this is what the story of the Bible says um God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, how many stars are there in the sky? And Abraham starts to try to count. One, two, three, 994, 95, 96. And then he loses count. Too many, he said. God said, Abraham, one day your family will number more than the stars in the sky. Abraham looked up at the dark night sky thick with stars. You will be my special family, my people. And through you, everyone on earth will be blessed. So this is the promise that God is making Abraham. Not only are you going to have a child, but through that child, you're going to be like kind of the the, the next Adam and Eve. And through your children, I will bless the entire planet. I'm going to spread my glory, my creativity around the entire planet. So this is like the ultimate you catastrophe. I've used that word before. J.R. Tolkien used that word to describe an event that goes from the very lowest point you could possibly go to, to all of a sudden rising up to glory on the other side. It's like a catastrophe in the shape of a U, a U catastrophe. And the worst case scenario is like down here when he's, he's uh, like dying. He has, uh, he has a body that's dying. He's very old. He can probably barely get around and he has no lineage. He has no hope of children. That's the, the ultimate nightmare in the ancient world. And now this dream of billions of descendants That's the greatest dream back then. I couldn't even think of a story today that would be like that. But uh, everyone on the earth made happy because of him, blessed by him. 
That he would one day be known by every single tribe and language and people and nation on earth. And in, indeed he is. Um, so think about the greatest redemption story that you know. Where, you know, where Narnia is melting. You know, where the white witch's reign is destroyed. Or where the Death Star explodes. Or the ring, if you know the Lord of the Rings, if, you know, the ring, the way the ring is uh, in the very end, what looks like a total disaster uh, ends up being the salvation of Middle Earth. Now, I haven't finished, I haven't finished Stranger Things yet. We have one more to go. I'm not, I don't know what's going to happen to Vecna, but I imagine, don't tell me, I, I imagine that he will be destroyed. And I'm sure it probably will be a very good U catastrophe. If, it's, if, if the story is worth anything, then it will be a U catastrophe. Don't tell me what happened. But in this story, you can't really think of any situation like Abraham's, where this man thought, it's over for me. My life's over. There's nothing for me. And then all of a sudden, this promise. So if you've waited for anything, you have not waited for something that great. Now, you might have waited for something really, really important. Um, You might have waited for someone's health to turn. Um, You might have waited for a spouse. A lot of people wait for spouses, and it's very hard. Or a child, like they did, waiting for a child to come along can be very, very painful. But imagine waiting for this. And when you're waiting, you know, you're totally out of control. You have, you have no ability to change the outcome. Um, you have no control. And the stakes are so high. My wife Margie had cancer. It was breast cancer. We did not know how far it had spread. And it was very scary. To, you just keep waiting for these test results. And there's just always another test. And so every time you're just waiting. And there were at least three times um, where the day you're about to get the results, you don't always know what day it is, but this day we knew and um, it felt like every hour felt like an entire day. And every minute felt like an hour. And I remember one time I I could barely keep moving. I was trying to do chores. I could barely move around. I kind of got sick and nauseous. And I was watering the plants finally when the, the, the phone call came in. And I just, when I heard the good news, I just dropped the hose. It was just spraying water all around. And Margie and I fell to our knees and, and just broke down in tears because it was good news. And if you've ever waited for something, um, that kind of waiting uh, can make you bitter. And the higher the hope, you know, the more the glory of the thing you're waiting for, the, the more depth of bitterness. And so Abraham's waiting 24 years. He was promised this when he was 75. Now he's almost 100. And uh, Sarah has also been waiting that whole time. And Sarah um, has heard the announcement. Um, But now, when uh, 24 years have passed since she and Abraham, they've been talking about this child to come for 24 years. God didn't give him any timeline. And finally, this, uh, this bitterness kind of overflows its banks. And chapter 18 is a really interesting chapter. In chapter 18, God comes down as three different people, these three different travelers. I always imagine them like cloaked with hoods where you can't quite see their face. And they come to Abraham and they say, Abraham, where is your wife, Sarah? And Abraham says, "Uh, she's in the tent. She's resting. And then God says, knowing that she's behind that tent door, he says to Abraham, Abraham, I will surely return about this time next year. And your wife, Sarah, not Hagar, your maidservant, you tried to do an end around on, but Sarah, your wife, he's very explicit about that, she will have a son. And Sarah, in verse 10, it says Sarah was listening behind the tent door. She's hearing this dialogue. 
between God and Abraham. And you might think that she would fall to her knees in tears when God has finally come down and announced to her with, with a voice, like a human voice, it is going to happen. But instead, she, in verse 12, laughed to herself. And this is a cold and mirthless laugh. This is a bitter laugh. And she laughs, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And that's, that's the first point, is the bitterness of Sarah. Um, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? It's a, it's a sarcastic, cynical laugh. And I'm sure that you can all relate to that laugh. At some point in your life, if not now, you've got to be able to relate to that, that, that callous laugh, that hard-hearted laugh. And I love God's response to that laugh. It's one of my favorite lines of scripture. I don't know why I love this line so much, but I used to say this as a, in our family, we say this all the time. So um, Sarah laughs to herself and she says to herself, after I'm worn out and old, my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And then verse 13, God says to Abraham, he says, why did Sarah laugh? And of course, Sarah doesn't even know that God heard her laugh. And um, God says, why did Sarah laugh? And then Sarah says, I, I didn't laugh. And then God says, oh, but you did. Oh, but you did laugh. But then he says, but is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Oh, but you did laugh. You are bitter. Don't try to pretend that you're not. But is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Love that line. And that leads to the second point, the joyous laughter. Even in the face of our contemptuousness and our eye rolling and our guffawing, um, it says in verse 1 that finally after a hundred years, Yahweh visited Sarah as he had said, the Lord did as he had promised. And I love the word visit. It's one of the great supernatural words of scripture. It's this piercing word like a pin coming through, you know, a balloon or something like that and piercing into another world. A thin pin like per- piercing through this world. Uh, miraculous, breathtaking intrusion of grace. Almost always in the context of God coming in. First uh, Samuel 2.21, Yahweh visited Hannah when she had no children, when she was barren, and she conceived a child. So that's visiting. Uh, Luke 1.63, blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited us and redeemed us. That's what um, Mary says when he has allowed her to conceive of a child. God has visited us. And then in Luke 7, 16, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. So there's a visitation that's going on here. Uh, God is coming through the thin veil between heaven and earth. He's coming in. And the narrator highlights the miracle of this life. Three times the narrator mentions the age of Abraham. Just to let you know, like three Hollywood spotlights, this is a miracle of divine intervention. Verse 2, it says, in his old age. Verse 5, right in the middle, 100 years old. And verse 7 at the end, it's like brackets, in his old age. So three times, he wants you to know, Moses wants you to know, this is impossible. This is in old age. 100 years old, this should not happen. This is a miracle. And notice how the narrator also highlights God's detailed faithfulness to what he promised. Uh, Verse 1, as he had said, as he had promised, at the very time he spoke, God gave them a time that he would do it. 
in nine months I will come back and she will have born a child. And, you know, when our hearts bend towards this terrible lie that God can't be trusted, uh, God's word comes in and stronger than the lies. And he convinces us that he actually is faithful, that he does visit people, that he does love us. I imagine when Sarah first noticed, like, some change in her body. And I had to ask my wife, well, so what would that be? And she was like, well, the first thing, you would miss your period. And then you would have morning sickness. And then somewhere along the line, you would feel the first kick or something moving in there. And all along the way, you could just imagine Sarah's heart is melting one degree at a time. That she is beginning to give in to the possibility that this could actually become a child. And verse... Two, the whole nine months are in one short verse. Sarah conceived and, nine months later, bore a son. Sarah conceived and bore a son. And at some point while they're holding Isaac, you know, cutting the umbilical cord, I can imagine their bodies just start shaking. They're not even, have you ever like laughed where you're in kind of sobbed and laughed at the same time and your body starts convulsing and shaking? The two of them just start resonating with one another and it's like this joy just broke through the dam of bitterness. And they, uh, I can't imagine the sounds that came from them, like some kind of primal scream of joy. Uh, it says in verse 3, Abraham called him Isaac, which means laughter. And Sally Lloyd-Jones says, sure enough, nine months later, just as God had promised, Sarah gave birth to a baby boy. And they named him Isaac, which means son of laughter. And Sarah laughed. But this time... It was a glorious and happy life. Her dream had come true. The very name of the child was the thing that was overtaking their body, their bodily functions. Just uncontrollable laughter. And notice how laughter begets laughter uh, when it's the, the right kind of laughter, when it's not mocking laughter. The Bible, by the way, doesn't use laughter a whole lot because of the way that laughter is often used for mockery or drunkenness. Um, uh, or being cruel to someone, you know, laugh in their face kind of laughter. But occasionally it does use laughter, and laughter and joy are almost synonymous in the way that it used, uses laughter. Um, one of the Psalms says, uh, when we return uh, from exile, our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. And that's the way laughter is being used here. Uh, a divine laughter, a laughter created by the presence of God. Genesis 21.6, God brought me laughter, and everyone who hears will laugh. In the right way. In the, in, the, in the way that's just filled with your faces like radiating. Just radiating with joy. And I wonder, um, I was trying to think in my own life, when have I laughed? Because God was so good. Something happened. I mean, that time with the cancer was certainly one of them. But when, when have you actually laughed where it was simply because of the presence of God, he had done something. that You knew he, he did this. He, he, only he could have done this. And you just laughed. And not only did you laugh, but your laughter was infectious and other people laughed because you laughed. I imagine Sarah just running all over town and with her child and just showing Isaac to everyone she meets. You know, to cousins and to strangers, to people just shepherds out in the fields. Just she wanted everyone to see how glorious uh, God was. And in, in this physical child, this child of promise. And months later, this is now uh, several months later when, when 
when Isaac is weaned, and I don't know back then when they actually weaned a child, but, but many months later, there's still, the joy is still reverberating. Because now it says they made a great feast. So it's not like they've gotten used to it now. Uh, and they're continuing to uh, be filled with joy. Verse 8, Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. And I think being weaned meant he's going to live. In a time with massive infant mortality rates, uh, this weaning meant this child is going to live. And so they made a great feast. And I imagine just waves of joy coming out of that feast, out of that birth, out of that first laughter, like a boulder that you hurl in a lake, and these waves of joy just come radiating out, echoing down the centuries. Because this is a, a lot bigger than a couple with a miracle story of a child. Uh, I think we all probably know couples that have given birth in a way that seemed almost miraculous and it was wonderful. And that's not to be uh, denigrated in any way or minimized. But this is about something way bigger than that. This is about this is about the salvation of the human race. This is about God's original plan carrying forth, because uh, verse four says that Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac. That's the first time in history that that had happened. Um, The first circumcision and circumcision was a mark of the new family of grace that God was building. Um, Circumcision, according to Paul, is a stripping away of the flesh, which is bitter and callous and mistrustful. So it's more permanent than a tattoo. Uh, It is a a mark of open hearted, expectant uh, hope and trust in God. It's a heart that can last still. It's a heart that's not bitter. It's a heart of joy. And so God marks Isaac as circumcised. This is going to be the the old outer hardness and callousness is going to be cut away from my people. I will have a circumcised people, which in the New Testament becomes baptism, which is about death and resurrection, a new life. Same idea, though. Thus begins the secret rescue plan where there will be circumcised people marked as fighting against the evil empire you know, scattered throughout the entire globe. And we continue to be scattered. This is what Romans 4.18 says. Against all hope, Abraham hoped to be the father of many nations, acknowledging the decrepitness of his body and the lifelessness of Sarah's womb. Even during that time, he hoped against hope that he would be not just have a child, but be the father of many nations. And so it's way bigger than a barren couple having a child. It's a, it's a planet Earth-sized joy. And it's, a, it's as old as the Earth. And it continues to this day. We continue to hope that uh, one day uh, these circumcised children, uh, these baptized children will spread out across the whole globe and will bring the glory of God to the whole planet. This is how Sally Lloyd-Jones ends her chapter. One day God would send another baby, a baby promised to a girl, who didn't even have a husband. But this baby would bring laughter to the whole world. Remember, we love these rascals.